For, uh, for the last couple of weeks, we have been in Luke chapter 14, and we've been looking at the occasion where Jesus was a guest at the table of a prominent Pharisee. And uh, today, we're going to eavesdrop on another meal where Jesus was a guest, but it was with someone who is at the far other end of the religious spectrum, the social spectrum, uh, whereas this prominent Pharisee was respected and admired the person that Jesus is sitting down to the table with today is despised. Whereas the, the Pharisee was the pride of Jerusalem, this man was the stench of Jerusalem. And whereas the Pharisee was clearly a saint, this man was clearly a sinner. But the one thing that they both had in common was that Jesus was pleased to, to sit at their tables, pleased to be a guest at their tables. So join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, uh, and your word is light. And so we pray that you would shine uh, that light uh, into our hearts and into our minds, that we might learn more about who you are uh, and who you call us to be. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the, the story we're looking at today is Luke chapter 19. If you want to open your Bibles, it will be up on the screen. Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up, and he said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost." Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And what has jumped out to me now uh, in the past three weeks of looking at these two stories, the one of Jesus with the prominent Pharisee and now Jesus with the, the chief tax collector, is that uh, you can be a revered saint and be lost. And you can be a reviled sinner and be lost. Revered saints reviled sinners, both can be equally lost. So Zacchaeus obviously was lost. Everyone knew that Zacchaeus was lost. Zacchaeus knows that he's lost. Yes, he's wealthy. Yes, maybe from the perspective of a lot of people, he's got a lot of things going his way. In some ways, his life is kind of cushy, but it all came at a tremendous cost. Zacchaeus is despised just absolutely despised. Being a tax collector, being an agent of Rome, that's bad enough. You're considered a traitor. 
But in the same way that we read last week that the Pharisee was a prominent Pharisee, he's like at the top of the, the ladder of Pharisees, the same is true about Zacchaeus. He's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. He recruits tax collectors. Tax collectors report to him. He reports to Rome. He is the closest step away from Rome as it gets. So he's the, the chief bad guy. He's the chief traitor. Zacchaeus is lost a law center with a big capital L on his forehead. But what about the prominent Pharisee that we've read about the last two weeks? He's also lost. Uh, in contrast to the tax collector, he does all the right things, says all the right things. As far as the law is concerned, he is squeaky clean. In fact, he's so squeaky clean that the law is not strict enough. He and all the other Pharisees took the law that God gave them and added layer and layer and layer upon it. For example, God said, observe the Sabbath, keep it holy. And so then the Pharisees got together and decided, well, what does it mean to keep it holy? What does it mean not to work? And they came up with hundreds of sub-laws of all the things that they couldn't do in order to keep it holy. For example, we can only take so many steps on the Sabbath. And so the prominent Pharisee was one who counted his steps. We can only write so many Hebrew letters on the Sabbath or it becomes work. And so he'd count how many letters he wrote. As far as the law was concerned, he was squeaky clean. But make no mistake, he was lost. He's religious, excruciatingly religious, but lost. He's moral, scrupulously moral, but lost. And he's good, exhaustingly good, but lost. And, and as I say that, it should make us a little uncomfortable. It makes me a little uncomfortable. Because what I'm saying is that you can be religious, and you can be moral, and you can be good, and still be lost. In fact, that probably describes a lot of people today, people who who are confident, absolutely confident that they are heaven-bound right now because they're good and because they're religious and because they're moral. But what we're going to see is that religion does not save. Morality does not save. Goodness does not save. We have one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ. So the prominent Pharisee, he believes that he could please God and make it to heaven by meticulously following all of these long lists of religious rules and regulations. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, he's given up any hope of going to heaven a long time ago. He's under no illusion. There's no way he's going to heaven. He's sure that the only thing waiting for him in the future is fury and judgment, and so why not just live for the present? Why not just try and squeeze out every little bit of of joy and happiness and, and pleasure right now, which sounds so much like a parable Jesus once told about two brothers. One did everything right. One did everything wrong. And they're both lost, but at the end of the story, only one of them gets found. The irony about the Pharisee is that his religiosity, his morality, his, his goodness actually ends up serving as an obstacle an impediment to his salvation. Because he's under the illusion that, that he has no need for salvation. He's already saved. He's already found. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, he, he's very clear of how lost he was. 
Jesus once told the parable, two people are forgiven a debt, one a great debt, one a little debt. Who's going to love more, Jesus asked. Well, obviously, the one who's been forgiven a great debt. The Pharisee didn't think he had been forgiven any debt. So Zacchaeus, his life is filled with paradox. On one hand, it appears that, that he's got it made. I mean, most people in the first century, they're dirt poor. And so they look at Zacchaeus and think, part of them thinks, man, even though like we all hate you, it might be nice to be you for a couple days. He lives in the best house in town. He's got the finest clothes. He he's, eats the best food. He is king of the hill. But enjoying all of that wealth came, as I said, at a tremendous cost. The more money he made, the more hated he became. Anywhere he went, he's the subject of ridicule. Parents taught their little kids that that's a bad man. How humiliating must that have been to have little kids thinking that you are a, a bad person. So yes, he's got this pleasure, he's got this wealth, but it came at the expense of selling his soul despised by his own people, nothing but a, an errand boy for Rome, his life had to be miserable. Which explains, on this day, why he is so eager to see Jesus. He, he hears that Jesus is coming through town, and by now Jesus has earned a reputation. He's one who ate in the homes of saints, and he's one who ate in the homes of sinners. Jesus, friend of sinners, he's accused. In fact, Zacchaeus has heard that Jesus even called a tax collector like him to be one of his disciples. And so he has to see this, this friend of sinners. And, and so he does something that day that he would normally never do. He makes the decision to go out into this crowd of Jewish people. That is an inhospitable place for Zacchaeus. Normally, crowds were to be avoided. Bad things happen to Zacchaeus in crowds. He's insulted, he, he's spit on, he's, he's shoved, he's treated rudely. But today, that doesn't matter. He goes into the crowd, and sure enough, he's not welcomed. He's trying to get to the front to see Jesus, but, but nobody is allowing him to do that. And so shamelessly, he runs ahead, climbs a tree, and perches up on a limb of a tree just like a, a little child and meanwhile, Jesus comes walking down the path. And he gets to that spot right under the limb where Zacchaeus is perched, and he stops. Jesus has this antenna that he lives with, and it's, it detects faith. And as he's under that tree, the antenna starts sounding. There's faith nearby. It's not unlike that time where the woman who was, was sick for a number of years in a large crowd came up and touched the hem of Jesus' robe and then tried to get away without being noticed, and Jesus stopped and said, somebody just touched me. And the disciples were like, you're in a crowd, you're getting touched all over the place. No, it was different. Somebody touched me with faith. And so he's under that tree, and, and the antenna starts sounding, and faith is nearby. He stops, he looks up. Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Come down from that ridiculous tree. I'm going to stay at your house today. Jesus clearly did not get it. He didn't get it. Sinners like Zacchaeus were to be scorned. They were to be shunned. It was okay to behave badly towards sinners. Instead of calling him down from the tree, what he should have done is cast an insult up at him. 
He should have made a joke about Zacchaeus, gotten a good laugh from everybody. Maybe he should have even thrown a stone. It was okay to call people like Zacchaeus names. It'd be okay to put a sign in your front yard that says Zacchaeus sucks, because he did. But he stops. He doesn't have that, he's not operating on that paradigm. It's not okay. So Jesus breaks the rules of engagement and he says, I'm going to stay at your house today, which sends all of the religious people into a frenzy. They start muttering to themselves, he's going to be a guest at the house of a sinner? I guess Jesus isn't who we thought he was. What a disgrace. Well, the good religious people are muttering to themselves. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus is scrambling down from the tree. He's scrambling down that tree, and he's full of joy. He's full of joy in a way that he hasn't been full of joy in in years. And then as Luke records the story, the action moves so incredibly fast. No sooner is Jesus in Zacchaeus' home than Zacchaeus experiences this incredible transformation. He stands up and he says, Look, Lord, I give half of all that I have to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Look, Lord, Zacchaeus said. Those were words that never came out of the Pharisee's mouth. Remember when the Pharisee was interacting with Jesus and Jesus asked him a question? The Pharisee shut down. He was quiet. He didn't say anything. Didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Look, Lord. And then Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And so I want to ask the question, why was Zacchaeus saved? Was it because he gave half of his money to the poor? Was it because he promised to restore the things that he had done wrong, to to pay back four times the amount? Those were good things to do. Those were the right things to do. They were appropriate to do. But those things don't save. That's not what saves Zacchaeus. Because again, religion doesn't save, morality doesn't save, goodness doesn't save, Jesus saves. Zacchaeus was saved because he trusted the Savior, the Lord, his Lord. And then that repentance of paying half of all he had to the poor and and making amends for anything that he had cheated, that flowed out of his relationship with Jesus. So Luke puts these stories really close to each other in the scripture and invites us to compare and contrast the Pharisee, the prominent Pharisee, and the chief tax collector. And so last week, if we return to Luke chapter 14, we read that uh, Jesus told a parable. And in this parable, there's a master who has a servant, and he tells the servant to go out. It is now time for for the banquet. The people who responded, who said they're going to come, go out and tell them it's time. And they began to make excuses. They didn't want to come. And so the master said, well, then go to the poor, go to the crippled, go to the lame. And the servant said, I did that, and there's still more room. They said, then go further, go to the country lanes, compel them to come in, the homeless, the the disenfranchised, the outcast, compel them to come in. That's Luke 14. Here in Luke 19, Jesus is living out the parable. He's doing it. He's going further. And further, today meant going into the home of the chief tax collector. That's going out to the country lanes today. He's rich. He might not fall into the category, oh, that's a poor person. No, he's rich, but he's still an outcast. 
And so Jesus goes there. There's two observations that have jumped out at me. Uh, the first is in Luke chapter 18, just a chapter earlier, Jesus has this account with another rich man. And the rich man asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life. And, and Jesus says to him, sell your possessions, give them to the poor. And the rich man puts his head down and goes away sad. And Jesus says how hard it is for the, the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the little eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of God. And then the disciples say to Jesus, well, then how can anybody be saved? And he says, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So he just says that in, in Luke 18. And now in Luke 19, we have a wealthy man passing through the eye of a needle. We have a wealthy man who's entering into the kingdom of God. What, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so the takeaway for us is simply don't write people off. Don't write anyone off. No matter how far gone they may seem, I mean, if we're paying attention to Scripture, the irony is that, that people sometimes who are the furthest away are actually the closest because they're aware of their need. It is the young son in the pig pen who comes home, and it's the righteous brother in the field who refuses to enter the house. Don't write people off. God can do amazing things. I wonder if you've had this experience. I've heard this from many people, and I've experienced it myself. Think back to high school. Do you remember that person who, who you really didn't like? I mean, they made life kind of miserable for you. Maybe they were the, the bully. And, and there's just, I mean, honestly, if you're going to be honest, you hated that person. And you maybe even have lived your life holding on to that hate. Like, I just cannot stand that person. And then you have a class reunion decades later. And you go back and you discover this person met the Lord and became a Christian. And it it's almost doesn't seem fair. <laughs> you know, like you, you want to be able to hate them. You have them in this category. They're a bad person, but, but they met the Lord and you can't believe it. Don't write people off. Jesus can, can reach anyone. The second observation is simply the power of grace. There's a reason the action moves so fast. Jesus enters into the home of Zacchaeus, and the next thing, Zacchaeus is a new man, which speaks to the power of grace. People are starving for grace, and grace is in short supply in this world. Don't underestimate the power of grace. Had Jesus not stopped that day, or had he done what everyone expected him to do, insult the man, make a joke about the man, throw a stone at the man, just ignore the man. The story is not in our Bible. And Zacchaeus goes back to his little life, his wee little life. Grace can appear soft, but it's not. The power of God's grace, truth, and love is amazing. Join me as we pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we also confess how easy it is for us to just put people into categories uh, and then to, to just disregard them. Lord, we thank you that you don't disregard uh, any of us. Lord, uh, you know our sin better than, than we know our sin. We, we have probably a lot more in common with Zacchaeus than we do with the, the prominent Pharisee. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you died uh, for sinners, sinners like us. We pray this all in Jesus' name.
Amen.